So good morning. So welcome to Zion Lutheran Church on the ninth Sunday after Pentecost. Just one quick reminder from me, which is your newsletters will be in your mailboxes, so please make sure you pick those up if you haven't. Uh, are there any prayer requests or announcements from the congregation this morning? Yeah. Requests or announcements, I will invite you to take a moment to prepare your hearts and minds for worship as we listen to the prelude. And I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not
the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us. And for his sake, God forgives us all our sins. As a called and ordained minister in the Church of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison. Kyrie eleison.
us pray. Beloved and sovereign God, through the death and resurrection of your Son, you bring us into your kingdom of justice and mercy. By your Spirit, give us your wisdom, that we may treasure the life that comes from Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. First reading is from 1 Kings. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am only a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. The word of the Lord. We will read responsively from Psalm 119. Your decrees are wonderful, therefore I obey them with all my heart. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Order my footsteps in your word. Let no iniquity have dominion over me. Rescue me from those who oppress me, and I will keep your commandments. Let your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. The second reading is from Romans. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own Son but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? 
Who will bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus put before the crowds another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. I invite you to be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As God's children, we are people of hope and not people of fear. In fact, we get to look at the worst things in this world and we get to defy them. We get to turn to them and remind them that they have no power or authority over us. And even in verse 38 of Romans 8 that we just read, St. Paul is going to list out all the things for us. 
These are all the things that the people of the world are afraid of, but that which we, as Christians, need not fear. He writes, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, he pretty much covers everything we might be afraid of, doesn't he? Are we afraid of death? Are we afraid of living? Are we afraid of the supernatural? Are we afraid of the natural? Are we afraid of the authorities of this world? Are you afraid because of the circumstances of your life right now? Are you afraid about your anxieties of what might happen in the future? Are you afraid because of what's going on with your family, with your neighbors, even with your enemies? And Paul lists it all out for us. And he tells us, he reminds us, that none of these things have power over us. Because none of these things will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. These are the things we can defy with one simple sentence. I belong to God. That's the confidence we hold as Christians. We belong to God. And so we can face all of the troubles of this world and say, you do not own me. And this is what Paul is getting at. He is saying, Christian, you can live hopefully and confidently, not because you have some great power inside of yourself to face this world, but you can do so because God claims you. And if Jesus Christ is for us, what in this world can stand against us? And so we get to live in defiance of the powers of this world. And so as we work through the end of Romans chapter 8, we'll see that Paul tells us to base this confidence in three things. First, we live in hope in this world because the spirit who resides in us intercedes for us. What Paul says here is that we do not know how to pray as we ought. And we often think of prayer as a kind of exchange. Right? If I say the right words, if I feel the right feeling, if I dedicate enough time to prayer, then God's going to give me what I ask for. And so our temptation is always to turn prayer into a game we play with God. God, I will do this thing for you if you will do something for me. God, I will speak the right words, and God, you will give me the right answer. Even in our Lutheran heritage, we have the story of young Martin Luther praying like this. The story goes that he was, on, he was leaving university on his way home, uh, where he was studying law, and he got caught in a big thunderstorm on his way home. And so Luther, who was discerning his future, cries out in the middle of the thunderstorm, Saint Anne, save me, and I will become a monk. And of course, he's spared, and he becomes a monk. But you see the exchange mentality. Save me, God, and I'll do something great for you. But what Paul reminds us is that that's exactly the wrong way to pray. Instead, God wants us to pray as his dear children, for which he will withhold nothing. This kind of prayer is the fruit of faith because it's based on nothing but trusting in God's loving kindness. And so what God does, knowing that on our own, that we will be terrible at this kind of praying, is that he prays for us through the Holy Spirit. God knows that our faith is often too insufficient 
for true prayer. We are terrible at praying, knowing that God's loving kindness is for us. And so God gives us his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks God's promises back to God, and God makes good on his promises to us. And so our prayers are never an exchange with God. Instead, they are an acknowledgement of God's promises. When we pray, we simply remind God all that he has promised to do for us. And when we are terrible at this, and we're often terrible at this, God literally takes the words we need and he prays them for us so that his promises to us are always on his mind. He doesn't forget them. And so this means even if you are terrible at prayer, even when you're a spiritual mess, God is going to make good on his promises anyway. God is going to give you what's good for you even when you don't know how to ask for it. And so even in the lowest parts of our life, when we're struggling with grief or we're in pain or we're angry or we don't know what to say, what to do, God is doing it for you. He is praying for you and it requires nothing on your part. He does it all. And this gives us an impetus for living with hope in the world because we cannot mess it up. The Holy Spirit is praying for us even when we don't know how to pray. The second truth Paul points to here is that we can live in hope in this world because God has predestined, called, justified, and glorified us. And these things are all synonyms. And these things are all things that God has accomplished for us through the work of Christ and applied to us through the Holy Spirit. And what we notice here is that God is the doer of all these verbs. We don't save ourselves. God saves us. God predestines us. God calls us. God justifies us. God glorifies us. God doesn't just give us a little nudge and say, figure it out on your own. God doesn't say, I've made all the conditions of the world right. Now you get to make a decision for yourself. Instead, God does it all for us. He saves you, and this he does through the means of grace in the church, through the Holy Spirit who sends you a preacher to give you the gospel, through the Spirit who applies God's promises to you in the waters of your baptism, through the Spirit who brings Christ to you in Holy Communion for the forgiveness of your sins, through the Spirit who shows you the sins in your heart so that you can hear the words of forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit He opens your ears, he opens your heart, so that you can hear God's word. And in doing that, you are justified. That's what God does for you. And this is the basis of hope in this world, and the basis of your confidence to turn to death and all the powers of this world and say, you are nothing to me. Because, as St. Paul writes, if God is for us, who is against us? God has chosen to save you. God has spared nothing, even his own son, to save you. And what are the powers of this world compared to the love of God? They are nothing. And so if God does this for us, then we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose, because God spares nothing to save us. This doesn't mean, and this verse sometimes is misused, It doesn't mean that we go to those who are currently suffering and say, don't worry about it, this is for your own good. 
we don't dismiss the true pain and suffering of this world and the grief that goes with the pain of this world. We don't try to explain away suffering. We don't try to explain away grief. We don't try to explain away the question of why evil things happen in our life and why bad things happen. And we don't speculate and try to assign meaning to these things. Instead, we follow Paul's lead here. And in the midst of suffering, we turn to the gospel and we say, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. I don't know why I'm going through this pain. But I do know that God is not going to abandon me in this suffering. Instead, God's goodness is very real, even in the midst of suffering. There, there is confidence that no matter what bad things happen to me, God is for me. Thus, I can face things knowing that God has saved me, and if God has saved me, he's not going to let me slip through his fingers. I am his. And finally, Paul proclaims that we can have hope in this world because Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for us. The right hand of God is not a geographic place on a map, but rather it's a way to talk about God's power. A person's power, their force, is in their right hand. A king's authority comes when he lifts his right hand. And that is where Christ is, residing in God's power. And so what Paul is saying, what he's writing here, is that Christ is not using God's power against us. Instead, Christ is using God's power for us. He is at the right hand of God now, not condemning us to death, not punishing us for the guilt of our sin, but speaking on our behalf. Christ is our advocate, our friend, and he is the one who's going to present us to God the Father. And he's doing so in the very power of God working for us. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no death sentence. There's no power in this world working against you that God's power is not greater than. And instead, what there is is assurance. Assurance that we are heirs and children of God. We are heirs to a great inheritance as ones who belong to God. And so what we've seen in Romans 8 is that there are promises declared to us that are the basis of our hope. These are the promises that allow us to live in the world of suffering without despairing. We have the promise that the Holy Spirit is bringing our prayers to God. Even when we don't know what to pray, he is praying for us. We have the promise that God himself has justified us. Apart from our own works, he saves us. And we have the promise now that Christ sits in God's power, not in judgment over you, but in love for you. And Christ, who sits in God's power, is the one who is faithfully going to bring you to God. And so we come back to these promises often. Bookmark Romans 8 in your brain, in your heart. Bookmark it in your Bible. And come back to these promises often. Because when the suffering and pain of this world are real, when doubts arise, when the uncertainties of life are knocking at your door, hold on to these very promises of God. Because these promises are for you. These promises are God's promises, so they are certain. If God in Christ Jesus is for you, who can stand against you? Amen.
together, let us stand and confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Heavenly Father, you have redeemed us out of your steadfast love. Grant that the gospel may go forth unhindered and your spirit may bring many into this fellowship of the redeemed. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, you have revealed to us the true treasure of Christ's cross and resurrection. Grant that we may pursue your kingdom with all our hearts, souls, minds, and bodies. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, you justify us for the sake of Christ. Comfort any who are troubled by the memory of past sins, are visited by the temptation to believe that they cannot be forgiven. Give them confidence in Christ, that he died for them, and that he now intercedes for them. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, you have given us various offices in our lives. Grant us faithfulness in these vocations, that we may see them as gifts through which we serve you and love our neighbors. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, grant wisdom to Joseph, our president, Richard Michael, our governor, and all who make, administer, and judge our laws, that they may seek what is best for all in accordance to your will. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, bestow your comfort upon all who are burdened by sickness, affliction, or any trouble, especially Charlie, Jane, Lynn, Carol, Eileen, Nancy, Jamie, Martha, Brandy, Marilyn, Virgil, Tony, Carolyn, Matt, and Jim. Grant that they may await healing and deliverance in the firm conviction that nothing can separate them from your love in Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, it is not for the sake of our numbers, our strength, our birth that you preserve us, but for the sake of your faithfulness and steadfast love. As you preserved your ancient people of Israel for the sake of your promises, keep your holy church on earth and preserve this congregation, we pray, for the sake of your name. Preserve us for that day in which we will be united with all of the saints of all times and places in singing your praises. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, the crucified, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Now the peace of the Lord be with you always.
Let us pray. Praise and thanks to you, holy God, for by your word you made all things. You spoke light into darkness, called forth beauty from chaos, and brought life into being. For your word of life, O God, we give you thanks and praise. By your word, you called your people Israel to tell of your wonderful gifts, freedom from captivity, water on the desert journey, a pathway home from exile, wisdom for life with you. For your word of life, O God, we give you thanks and praise. Through Jesus Christ, your word made flesh, you speak to us and call us to witness. Forgiveness through the cross, life to those entombed by death, the way of your self-giving love. For your word of life, O God, we give you thanks and praise. Send your spirit of truth, O God, rekindle your gifts within us, renew our faith, increase our hope, and deepen our love for the sake of a world in need. Faithful to your word, O God, draw near to all who call on you. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory forever. Amen. And now gathered by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. Peace, serve the Lord.
Thanks be to God.